Brian Miller here, your host of Go and Make. We're really excited for this week's episode with Dr. Jared Bryson from Catholic Charities. And we're talking about what is charity and what is the role of charity in evangelization. I think sometimes people like to pit service and evangelization against each other. But in reality, we can't evangelize unless we see Christ in the poor. So it's a great conversation this week. Really looking forward to it. As always, give us your feedback, evangelization at archstl.org. We want to hear from you. Find us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. Give us a rating and a review. It helps us uh, get the word out there about Go and Make. And finally, of course, share Go and Make with people in your parish. If you go on the uh, archstl.org slash evangelization website, there's all kinds of great resources on there on the Go and Make page about how you can put an ad in your bulletin or share the episodes on social media. So we're trying to get the word out, trying to help everyone go and make disciples. Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. All right, welcome back to the next episode of Go and Make. We are joined today by Dr. Jared Bryson, who is shaking his head and laughing as I call him doctor. Uh, but he's the president of Catholic Charities here in St. Louis, has worked in St. Louis in ministry for a long time. And, and why are you a doctor? Well, uh, are you a medical doctor? No, no, you do not want me anywhere close to that <laughs> conversation. Right. Uh, my doctorate's in Christian spirituality, so I really w- worked on formation and um, for executives, especially, was my kind of focused concentration. So nice, yeah. yeah. So, uh, as the president of Catholic Charities, you have a pretty big impact in our community in serving the poor. Uh, in, in providing social services, doing all kinds of things that people don't know and realize that, that Catholic Charities does. The impact is is very broad, and uh, eight agencies, I think, that are under the Catholic Charities banner. Is that right? We, we, we talk about nine ministries. Uh, they are set up as eight agencies across the board. We take about care of about 100,000 people a year in our archdiocese and growing. And growing. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's good to be where the people are, right? You That's know, right. To go full Little Mermaid style. You guys are out amongst the community and and serving, again, in ways that people don't know and, and realize. So. Yeah, you know, some, sometimes we think about, um, they don't know all of our agencies together. So some may know Cardinal Ritter or St. Patrick's Center or Good Shepherd or Mary Grove. But, you know, think about LAMP, our language access. It's our, you know, one of our larger really agencies. Really important these days. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's 335, 36 given the day, uh, interpreters that interpret 80 different languages wow. on, a deman- on demand, yeah. and 120 languages if you want an appointment. So it's like, it, that's a pretty large agency that most folks don't even talk about half the time. Uh, or St. Francis Community Services, um, Queen of Peace, St. Martha's Hall, all of those are part of our ministries to kind of walk through that, yeah. And I, and I, and I probably miss somebody. Yeah, of I, course, and, I, and they'll, they'll remind they'll you. They'll remind me later. You know, yeah, yeah. We love you all equally like children. That's you know, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so what we want to talk about a little bit today, one of the things we've done on the show every week is ask whoever is with us, just tell us a little bit about your own faith story. So we're going to try and connect uh, evangelization and the work of charity. We'll talk a little bit about that too. But I think it's really important for people to hear everyone's kind of conversion story or faith story, because I think it gives us an idea as we develop like a Catholic imagination for evangelization of what conversion can look like in different people. Yeah. So share with us, you know, the short, the five minute version maybe of, of your testimony of how you came to know Jesus. Yeah. So um, I grew up in a Protestant pastor's household. 
Um, and that's probably the, um, the short version of it. So my grandmother, my aunt, and I have two un- are, are pastors and two uncles that are Mormon bishops. So while my own father wasn't one, but uh, we, were, we all knew where we were going to be on Sunday morning. We were in grandma's church. Grandma was preaching, Assembly of God uh, background. Um, but at the age of 17, you know, I had been working a lot as a, as a kid. I was with, it was scouts a lot and kind of walking through that conversation. My uh, advisor, we were on a camping trip, a Boy Scout camping trip. And on Saturday nights on the Boy Scout camping trip, a lot of people disappeared because all the Catholics go into town to mass. And at that point, all of us Protestants were waiting around for dinner. And uh, dinner didn't happen until the Catholics came back from mass. Um, but one weekend, uh, my advisor invited me to mass. And I'm like, oh, you know, uh, I was not too sure about that. Um, but I went. And the one thing that came in my background was always hearing the stories of um, I don't know scripture, all of this. We pray to me. All, all the stereotypes that, you all hear about Catholics right, all yeah. the time, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm 16 at that point, 16 years old. Um, I, I was 17 when I became Catholic. Uh, 16 years old, and I went in, into Mass, I'm like, ooh. And then I listened. And I'm like, this is rich with Scripture. And because you knew Scripture already, because right, you weren't Catholic, right? right, right yeah. It, it was just dripping with it. We I'm take like, it for granted. Correct. Yeah. Tell me more. Um, and so one night, my advisor, he was also the, the organist at a local parish. And on a Wednesday night, they were doing choir practice, and there was a group of us getting out of a meeting, we needed some pa- papers to be signed so we can go to a national jamboree type of thing. And um, I got there, and he just said, just wait. And so we, I sat in this dark church. The choir's over here doing their practice. And at, coming out of the back was, uh, uh, over time, a priest came up, you know, Father Tom at that point. And, and um, he just sat down. But I noticed something different, you know, when a guy wears all black, and then he has a brown belt on. <laughs> um, but he was wearing a Philmont Scout Reservation belt. And I was, you know, in scouts, you kind of pay attention to those things. So we talked a little bit. Uh, and then uh, Jim signed the form, and I was on my way back home. But um, it started questions in my mind. Like, they're normal people. Uh, they, invite, they were open to the conversation and kind of walking in. So I ended up uh, later that fall enrolling in RCIA, um, much to my mother, did not knowing much about it or the rest of my family. Uh, I came clean to my mom by Christmas time that I had been talking and going every Monday night to RCIA and having these. There was a group of nine of us. Uh, I was the youngest in the group. Um, but I had the reading material that I would smuggle back and forth at the home and whoops, or put them in my uh, car and not let it go anywhere else like that. So I was reading all the material and eating it up. And then at Easter Vigil, uh, came into the church. How did your family react to that? Well, the only one who showed up was my mother. Um, no one else uh, was like that. And we, we had a, a long hiatus of conversation. It was really kind of hurtful for a while. Um, I was in my early 20s when we reconciled. So it took several years uh, as a family to kind of do that. And, and that's been, uh, it's been good since ever since then. So, you know, here I'm in my late 40s now. And um, it's, it's like it's always been this way. I've always been Catholic. I've always been kind of doing this. And family knows they expect it now. So. It's been a great conversion. So, it was an invitation. Yeah, right. So you said yes yeah. to that invitation to be Catholic. And then 
you know, you, you kind of quickly, it seems, felt that call to also serve and to uh, to evangelize, to share the good news, to work in the, in the ministry of the church in a lot of different ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, um, you know, I was always kind of thinking about taking on Grandma's church. You know, it was in that tradition, uh, it was easy enough. I mean, I preached on Sundays as a kid preacher at, you know, the Assembly of God Church. Um, and Grandma had always said, you know, you could take the pulpit here. You know, I'm not going to be here forever. So I'd always kept that in my mind. But when I became Catholic, that kind of changed the tenor of whether or not the, the pulpit was even an part. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, so, but what did ministry really mean? And that's when I started to learn more about lay ministry, how to be engaged with different ways of doing that. My parish invited me to certain things. More, It was more youth ministry and catechetical stuff. Um, kind of doing that. But as I've developed and kind of, you know, I went and did my MDiv at Aquinas Institute of Theology here in St. Louis, that really helped form and shape me in terms of my own ministerial identity as a layperson doing this work. Yeah. And then you got involved in Catholic healthcare at one point as well, right? Yeah. For 15 years, I served in Catholic healthcare doing mission uh, integration for them. So really helping um, people, People of all faith traditions really see their work as ministry and how it fits in terms of value-based ministry and Catholic tradition in particular, um, and trying to grow with that. So 15 years doing that work, and then now coming over here to Catholic Charities to kind of do almost a similar uh, kind of work that way, but really to uh, connect a little bit differently. So how do we see our work as ministry, but also as, as an effort of evangelization? Yeah, when I heard that you were hired as the new CEO of Catholic Charities, uh, one, I felt familiar because you were around a lot anyway, right? Yeah, Always kind of yeah. chipping in at the archdiocese and, and helping consult and advise and, and just be a friend to what we were doing here. Uh, so that was great because I was like, all right, I don't have to get to know this guy. I already know him. This is great. Go, right. uh, but so much of, of what we're trying to do in evangelization and in the church right now is just really bring Jesus into the center of everything. Yeah. I know that's what your literal job description was at Mercy. Your literal job description was to, to keep... The mission bring to life the healing ministry of Jesus. Yeah, yep. at, at in every aspect of what they do, and and in healthcare, it's really interesting because they have really uh, organized trainings and structures to do that at every level. So they understand that maybe not all of their staff believe what we believe, right. but there's still a way to bring the healing mercy of Jesus into uh -huh. the center of everything. And and so as we think about renewal and the moment we're in in the church right now, what we've been called to really since the Second Vatican Council and onward, what Pope Francis continues to call to, this missionary transformation at every level, it's about rethinking how the structures of the church at every level can bring the mercy and love of Jesus into someone's life. Mm -hmm. So it's great that you're here. Yeah, well, thanks. I, I've enjoyed it. So part of... Part of it's even the transformation we're doing at Catholic Charities. We had 10 different mission statements, 10 different value statements, 10 different visions of the world. And you, even, sometimes even our, our value statements were the same words, but they meant something very different, how we interpret them. So my first year really is about trying, let's come to common language. What's a shared mission, shared vision, shared values? so that we can enter into that dialogue a little bit more. So Pope Benedict, uh, in his uh, work of Deus Caritas S, so paragraph 25 talks about the connection of the preaching of the gospel, the sacraments, and then the social outreach of the church stand together as interdependent. So as we work together in um, our work of Catholic Charities, it was great as a social service agency, but it may or may not have ever proclaimed the gospel it may or may not have ever connected someone with the sacraments. So how do we 
in this new shared mission, vision, and values, find moments to really connect people up to. I mean, like for my own story, I was drawn into a sacramental moment. I was drawn. There's scripture rich everywhere. There was a proclamation of the gospel that that came out of that. So if we take care of the poor, we don't, you know, uh, in Deus Caritas, it often reminds us, we're not there to proselytize. We're not, like... An you, important distinction, yeah, right. You can't. You don't have to come to this Bible study first before we take care of you. We're going to take care of you. And in our taking care of you, we will proclaim uh, Christ present in this work. And so how do we help our coworkers? So with a shared mission, vision, and values, now we have a program, if you will, that you can start to say, how do you see this work as ministry? How are we really understanding this work as um, we take care of the human person, the dignity of the human person, as creating the image and likeness of God? What does it mean to be a walking tabernacle of God and that we take care of people that way? So that that becomes a new invitation for our coworkers. I'm about 1,300 coworkers in Catholic Charities right now. So I start with looking at the internal part of the organization before I think about going out. So if we can really focus there, and then go out, or as a part of our going out at the same time. So Yeah, Archbishop Rosansky has said, uh, wrote an article last year, and the title was, Be Disciples Who Make Disciples. Mm-hmm. And I love it because it's really the simplest way to talk about our evangelizing mission and our unified mission, because you can't be an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ without wanting to bring someone his love and mercy, right? So when you bring Jesus, you bring true charity. And when we meet the physical needs of people... We're bringing them true love, and we're, right. we're bringing them the love of Jesus. And again, we don't serve uh, them because they're Catholic. We serve them because we, we are. are. Right. But if we're not involved in that work in some way in our lives, then we're actually not truly disciples. Yeah. Well, and you know, as you think about what we're trying to proclaim in culture uh, and try to witness in that conversation, we're yes, we are trying to help um, take care of folks and proclaim who Jesus is in culture and, and be a part of that relationship. Um, but we're working to make a more just society as well, right? But that's not our role alone. That's a government role too. Uh, our job is how do we bring and bear witness to Christ in the midst of that justice? Yeah, the, the U.S. bishops uh, have their strategic plan from 1992, which only the kind of nerds like us would have part of that <laughs> memorized, right? But in that, they're quoting Pope Paul VI in uh, Evangelization on, on the Modern World, and they're really trying to help us define what evangelization is. So I think it's funny, too, because we have all this focus on evangelization right now. Yeah. The 1992 strategic plan of the U.S. bishops was about evangelization. It was called Go and Make Disciples. I mean, this has always been the mission of the church, reclaiming it. So I want to tell people too, like it's normal. Like this is just normal language. We weren't always good at talking about it. Right. But in there, he talks about, you know, evangelization at its core seeks to convert, which makes people uncomfortable sometimes, right? Conversion means that they were doing something wrong. Well, yeah, we all are. We're all sinners. Okay. But it seeks to convert individuals and society by the divine power of the gospel itself. And, and in that, okay, you and I come and we meet Jesus and we have a conversion and, and, and we repent and believe. And that's, again, like the catechism talks about that as a radical reorientation of our life towards Christ. Mm-hmm. Not just like turn a little towards Jesus, a radical reorientation. Everything is different. Yeah. So when we do that as individuals, then we're sent out into the world. We can't help but order society in a just way with Christian values and Christian laws and to bring the mercy of Jesus into the social atmosphere right. as well. Correct. Yeah, it, it's, it's a huge part that drives us, but it's foundational. So, you know, um, back in June, I had my one year at Catholic Charities, and one of the things I really kind of reflected on is every day my, how my day starts and how I um, 
our moments of contemplation or our moments of uh, connectivity with God or our prayer life has to be overflowing to fuel us out into um, into action. So, you know, my, my normal day is I have three kids. Um, so I'll talk about the uh, once we're up and moving kind of moment, uh, that chaos in itself, just getting out the door, right? But our... Our school goes to Mass every day. We have a daily Mass for the school. Um, and so I go with the kids. And then I get into the office sometime after that, in order between 8.30 and 9 o'clock, right? So, but it starts with reorienting my day and keeping connected. And then throughout the day, there are moments. We have a, 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 a great moment in our, in our, in our building. There's the Blessed Sacraments in our chapel at the Roundhouse uh, in our office. So we get moments just to stop and pause. But... That connectivity with the divine, with God, in that moment of saying, reground, reroot ourselves to spill over into service um, has, has got to be part of who we are. Otherwise, we're just running around and not, not doing a lot that way. Yeah, and I think that in our parishes, I mean, this is kind of tricky too sometimes because in our parishes across the Archdiocese of St. Louis, I mean, we have an incredibly generous community. Absolutely. We have more programs than than most places do. We have more uh, just, you know, things that the diocese does. The ACA raises, you know, $15, $16 million a year, and a lot of that money goes to serve the poor. And then there's other funds and other charities outside of that even that go to serve the poor. Mm-hmm. And, and parishes are giving more than people realize to serve the poor and helping with different Lots. funds and things. So institutionally, we're, we're pretty good on that. We are. But I think you know, one of the things you and I have talked a little bit about and, and we're really trying to do is we want to make a personal connection to the poor. You can't just write a check yep. and throw it in the collection basket and say that's your service of mercy to the poor. It, like there's a, that's not what discipleship is about, right? right? So what's, I mean, what's the disconnect there and how can we get over it? You know, I think part of it is, um, and this is one of the things that I, I've, I've started to try and think through a little bit more publicly we're good at writing our checks and kind of doing service and going to that community that's way over there and wanting to help the community way over there. What I find fascinating, it's actually in the model of Society of St. Vincent de Paul that I, that I applaud, it's neighbors helping neighbors. How do we really look at what are the needs in our parish community, the person over the fence? How do we get to know them and their needs? You know, if a parish was to say, here's our, uh, here's our zip code, that we own, if you will, by that we know every living soul in that zip code. We, as a parish, have walked every day to, or you know, on a regular basis, we know everybody who lives there and we've talked to them. That's a little bit more challenging uh, for some folks these days because it's just like, well, it's easier to kind of write my check and kind of go over here and serve in a poor community that I, I know needs help, and yes, we want you to do that, and we want you to also take care of your community. So I'm, I'm always mindful as Catholic Charities that we try to make our shift. You know, pastors are named as a pastor for all the souls in that geographic region. To the pains of hell. Like That's it is right. their, it is the, all the, a duty of their soul right. to bring the good news to every person, not just the Catholics. Not just the Catholics, right? Sorry, pastors. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Love you. Yeah. Um, and it's our job to work with them, to collaborate to help engage and get to know this street and that street and Mary Francis over here. and yeah, they can't do it all. They can't. Especially they in the big parish. They shouldn't have to. Right. Yeah. right. We are called to be a part of that conversation. So, you know, thinking about, I was talking with one pastor, and actually we're, we're piloting a program right now where 
we've taken the geographic uh, area of a parish and we've blocked it off by, you know, we've marked off by blocks, named kind of block captains of this block captain is to get to know every household, just build relationships. That's it. And then as time goes on, they get to know that this parish cares about them because as th- needs come up, the block captain then brings it, hey, Society of St. Vincent Paul, could you help out so-and-so over here? Or Catholic Charities, can you help us out with this conversation? These needs start to bubble up to the parish, and we can start to kind of walk through that. But then they start to know the needs. Along with that is how do we invite them to be a part of our worshiping community? How do we invite them to a low-bar event, you know, whether that's parish picnic or fish fry or whatever those low-bar events are for you, you know, the— Advent by candlelight night or the, I kind of am, you know, Advent by tailgate guy. But, That's right, yeah. Uh, so, you know, how do we get them to those low bar events? Then we eventually bring them closer to the altar, if you will. Um, but that, but you got to make the invitation, but you got to know them. And it's easier when they're known. back. Yeah, I, I remember, I mean, this is really powerful for me. We were relatively new to our parish and we had a, a preemie, a super preemie. Mm-hmm. My wife was in the hospital on bed rest for six weeks. We didn't know if the baby was going to make it. He was born at, at less than three pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, we spent a lot of time at Mercy Hospital. So, And we actually, we really felt uh, that the mission identity of Mercy was really strong in caring for us as Catholics and spiritually. So just kudos to you and the, and the work you did there, too. But 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 really Large our... Large team to do that's it. That's right, exactly. Yeah. But really what happened was we were, we were relatively new to our parish, but we didn't cook for four months because between our, our family, but then also these people from our parish who were dropping meals off on my front porch in a cooler that I had never met. And it took mm. me maybe like a, the next year to figure out who all had fed me wow. for that year because uh, they had heard, you know, we had one kid in the preschool, another one that was before preschool age, and then the third one who was in the hospital. And so we didn't know that many people, but they just rallied and loved us. And, and that act of love solidified our engagement in the community in a way that that I couldn't have imagined. Yeah. And, and I think when we think about the, the ability and the power to connect charity and evangelization and community, that, you know, the whole evangelization paradigm we talk about is, is incarnational evangelization. It's relational ministry. It's not just programs. Like right. programs are good, but programs are a vehicle for relationship. Yep. We have to use them the right way. And when we do charity in a way that's just a program, it's it's lacking that incarnational aspect where Jesus became man and became one of us so that we could know God, yeah. just to bridge that gap. And we have to do that for others as well, and we really have to do it with our service and charity. Yeah, I, I think that's where we uh, – the language hurts us a little bit. You know, we talk about charity. Charity in an American mindset is kind of the leftovers. It's just throwing thing. cash. We just yeah. don't uh, throw things. Where, where – what you know, it's really important for Catholic charities. We're part of Caritas International. And I like that word better. Caritas. It has to be overflowing from our love to serve each other and to serve our sisters and brothers. So um, as we think about uh, how we anchor and fill our bucket up, it starts with that divine relationship first and how that spills over into who we are and what we're about. So this year, the Eucharist actually... um, our ministries every month do a holy a half hour kind of moment to try and introduce new moments of relationship along that. It's an interesting concept for social service agencies to have a holy half hour. Uh, but you know, next year we're 
kind of kind of extend that uh, beyond just the year of the Eucharist to give folks a moment just to let God's loving gaze come upon them, and they in return also you know have moments of adoration as well. You can't give what you don't have. So Correct. if you're not receiving exactly. love and the love of God in that in that gaze, then how are you ever going to expect to pass it on? And yeah, and uh, I think you know sometimes we think that we can fix everyone's problems. Like, you know, like, like we, we all have these great ideals and we want to we have the social program or the social service that is the end to homelessness or the end to whatever. And, and we want to do the best we can, but Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. Like, like he acknowledged right off the bat, okay, you're not the savior, you can't fix these things, but you can give them me. Mm-hmm. You can give them Jesus. Right. Yeah. And, and in many ways, I think we forget that that's actually the greater gift. Like, it, it's better to be hungry and know Jesus than to be full and not. You know, mm-hmm. Pope, Pope Benedict, uh, I forget where he wrote it. It was a, maybe a more obscure writing of his. Um, but he's got a great quote that says, evangelization in its truest form is to eliminate poverty in all kinds. Yes. He's talking about spiritual poverty and material poverty. Yeah. And and those things have to go together. Yeah. You know, you think about... Um, so we, we often go back to the... Um, the gospel passage of the Good Samaritan for Catholic Charities. So in that gospel passage, we are both um, the Good Samaritan and the innkeeper. (laughs) So um, the one who chooses to help and the one who's forced into service. Um, But because of their force, they trust and they open their doors and they find those hospitable moments. Um, So... All of that is helps shape who we are and how we operate, but it's that overflowing love. It's both a choice, and it's something we also have to be open to to, to receive when we receive that um, uh, person from the street, if you will, uh, to use that gospel uh, image. But we've always go, go back to that story as a regular part of our conversation. Uh, well, it's a powerful, powerful story. It's huge, yeah. And I think. Important too is that we also see ourselves as beaten on the side of the road sometimes too. Yeah, uh, Pope Francis has a great line in the Joy of the Gospel um, that it's in a grateful remembrance that we go out to evangelize. That it's mm. unthinkable that we can know what we've received and not want to share it with others. Uh, that the joy of evangelizing always arises from a grateful remembrance. So when we when we recognize ourselves also as having received love, charity that we don't deserve other than the fact that we're sons and daughters of God, that we didn't merit on our own, then okay, I got I, I to I gotta yeah. do my part too. Yeah. That, that, that role of memory is such... Um, uh, I mean, we see that in, the, in our Eucharistic celebrations on a regular basis, it, the, the recalling, the, the reuniting. Um, sister uh, Mary Rock Rockledge, who uh, a sister of mercy from uh, the health system, she's gone home to God, um, but... She used to, she likes to play on words a lot. She, um, for her, it was always, we have to remember. And remember really was like rejoin mm. the, those moments of yeah. gratitude. Pull it back together, spend some time. And, and then you're no longer in this part, you're no longer sporadic, but you're spending time to remember. And as you bring yourself back to new wholeness, then it's an opportunity for you to really find new moments of gratitude that spills over in love. And, and so you're, because we can get pretty disjointed uh, if we stop, don't stop to take time to remember. So it's a huge, huge part of just even our sacramental life in terms of that. One of the 
things we like to do here in these conversations as well is try to get a little bit practical for people. So, because we have lots of great, again, big ideas, yeah. and we're always trying to solve all the world's problems, oh, yeah. and and uh, I think we could if we just kept talking, you know. <laughs> but uh, we want to give people in parishes, in particular, just what can they actually do, practically speaking, to to bring charity, true charity, to people in their communities. Get to know your neighbor. Let, your, don't your literal worry. neighbor. Literal neighbor. The one that has the six-foot privacy fence in your backyard behind you or whatever it is. Um, get to know those folks next to you. Build community. Uh, there's a, you know, coming up here soon is, is Halloween, and one of the neighborhoods we go to, it's the only time I ever see this whole neighborhood together. They put out their fire pits, and the neighbors all hang out and hand out candy and all that stuff. But how do you really get to know your neighbor over time? And build that community and then invite them. Invite them to share some sort of um, celebration, some sort of connection with your larger parish community. But get to know them. And that real true charity ends up being how do you help them along? You know, my, I have two neighbors on either us and uh, that, well, we, I live in a subdivision of 18 households, houses, and we know, we all know each other. We have our quarterly kind of. Um, you know, social moments that we, we intentionally, but the two on either side of me in particular, you know, I'll, I'll text Mark or Anita and say, hey, I need help with the kids. And, you know, they're, they're coming over to take care of the kids so I can go take care of something real quick. And, you know, and likewise, uh, Nancy and Jack on the other side. So it's just like, how do you really start to uh, build community, get to know another person? And then you start the low barrier invitations. And it has to be intentional. Intentional. Like, so, so charity requires sacrifice too because sometimes you have to go out of your way to create the spaces and opportunities for that to happen because it's a lot easier just to flip on the TV or or to you know worry about your backyard or whatever and, and our communities in like the way that modern cities are laid out are actually designed that you go in your front door or garage and you go to your backyard, backyard. to hang out instead of the front yard which is what it, like front porch culture yep. in, yep. in, in exactly. the city is very different than suburban backyard culture so it's not going to happen unless you actually go out of your way to do it. Right. It's um, during the pandemic, you know, I, so to your point, I live in a suburban house. And so the backyard is set up as the, you know, the place where you want to really go and sit. But during the pandemic, especially most of our neighbors, we all sat in front in our driveways because we didn't see each other. We were all kind of isolated and that's kind of waned now. But even like this past summer, when I would have a moment or two, uh, I'd get home and I'd go sit in the front yard just to be able to, I mean, it looks a little crazy sometimes because, you know, our yards aren't set up that and you're way. You're yelling at the kids, like, get off my lawn, you know, right? No. <laughs> uh, ride your bikes wherever you need no, to. No, it's good. But, it's, but, but really trying to be intentionally in front of people at that point in time, be a connection. And so then you have the conversation when they come home from work or whatever it is versus the backyard isolation, leave me alone. Yeah. Here's a, here's another practical idea. Um, something I did when I was a, a focus missionary is we just made like 30 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and we just went and found people that needed them. Yeah. And I, and we asked them their name Yep. and said, how can I pray for you? Yeah. And, and, uh, those were great, powerful experiences and, and conversations. And again, it just, you know, that one sandwich, Changed someone's life? No, but it changed mine. Mm-hmm. It changed my heart and softened my heart for the, the the plight of these people who are out there, who who don't get treated like humans oftentimes too. I mean, you see someone on the street corner 
with a sign and, you know, oftentimes your first instinct can be just to avoid eye contact, yep. you know, so we dehumanize these people. So just by, you know, you know, everyone has their own theory about whether or not you should give someone five bucks on, sure. on the street corner. For me, I, I like to do it because it's not my decision as to where they spend that money. But or or sometimes I'll carry McDonald's gift cards or, or um, you know, our parish at one point had like a homeless kit at a the water bottle and a gold kernel yeah. bar yeah. And, and stuff like that. And then a, a resource for St. Patrick's Center inside of it, too. Yeah. Like great handoffs. But I never want to do that without asking them their name. That's a key part is get to know their name. I mean, let them know that they're seen. That, that's a huge piece. So like Vinny uh, is, a, is a guy who's on 250 or at 55 and Limburg. He's there on a regular basis. Um, Usually when I drop my kids off at school and after mass, I, I, I swing by that area. If he's there, we'll have a little chit-chat about something, see how he's doing, if he needs anything else. But getting to know who he is. And then there were three days for a while he was not around. I'm like, so, you know, where'd he go? What's going on? What's happening? So I start wondering about it. My kids are asking, hey, where's Vinny at today? So that that starts to show up in kind and of... It's modeling it for them, just how to right. treat people like humans, which, yeah. which we need to do better at in every area of yeah. life sometimes, I, too. I see you. I yeah. hear you. I want to help. I can only do so this, but, you know, that human interaction is huge uh, in just the conversations. Well, I think we've got uh, some good practical tips, some good ideas, and really a better understanding of how this work of charity really is not like something we go do because we want to evangelize, but it's just part of who we are as Christians and that, that impetus to go and make disciples just by showing the love of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus to people as we go out, uh, it's going to make a pretty big impact. So Great. Well, thanks for having the time. I'm, I'm, I appreciate the invitation, Brian. Yeah. Will you just close us with a quick prayer? Absolutely. So in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we thank you so much for your love in our world, for your presence in and through us. We ask that you bless us as we go forward from here to continue to bring to life your healing, help, and hope to all those we meet. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the, name in the, of the Father, Father, Son, Son and Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go and make disciples. <laughs>